back to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. And that's me, Dr. Jeff. I'm a paediatric and adolescent oncologist here at the Children's Hospital at Westmead in Sydney, Australia. And I've been away for a while. Sorry about that, folks. Um, first we had the Christmas, then we had the Christmas holidays, then I went away on a conference to Atlanta, then I came back with a virus and a cold. Anyway, one thing after another. Anyway, so that's why there was a bit of a gap in my episodes. Today I want to talk about adolescent and young adult oncology. AYAs, they're called Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology. And we're talking here about a group of uh, people who are typically aged between about 15 and 25 years of age, maybe 15 to 30 years of age, and some people even say 15 to 39 or 12 to 40 or something. But anyway, I mostly think of it as in that sort of 15 to 25-year-old age bracket and who have been diagnosed with cancer or leukaemia. So adolescent and young adults. And they're referred to as the AYAs, Adolescent Young Adults. And in the last decade or so, they've really emerged as a special group of patients who have particularly special needs and who were perhaps a bit neglected in previous eras and who now very often have uh, dedicated teams of people within the hospitals that are really focusing on this AYA population, this adolescent young adult group. And so I guess it'd be the last 15 years or so, they've really emerged as a group that needs particular sorts of expertise and particularly sort of uh, specialised care and uh, really warrant having a dedicated team focusing on this particular group. So today I just want to talk about this particular group of patients and why they have particular sets of needs, etc. And there's a lot to cover, so I'll just touch on all the different areas uh, fairly briefly, otherwise this podcast would go out to about three hours. But I think one of the things to mention early on is that uh, children's hospitals typically you know, take on new patients up to a certain age limit. So a children's hospital might say, well, we take new patients up to the age of 16 or maybe to 18. And then after that, patients are expected to go to an adult hospital. And that age cutoff varies from one children's hospital to another. But, you know, typically there is some sort of an age cutoff. And so Patients in this age bracket sort of get caught between the children's hospitals and the adult hospitals, and that contributes to some of the problems that developed in previous eras because of the reasons I'll discuss. So I want to go through now just a whole lot of uh, particular issues that are important when we think about patients in this sort of 15 to 25 or 15 to 30 year age bracket and I'm not going in any particular order of importance or anything but just the order that I sort of uh, put them together. So the first thing to say about this group of patients is that they have insight into what is going on. Okay, 15 to 25 year olds They've heard of cancer. They know what cancer is. They know it's a bad thing. They know that they're in a battle to save their life. 
And this is a bit different to younger kids. Now, if you think about two and three and five-year-olds, they know they're going through a bad time. They know they're getting needles and they're being stuck in hospital and they're feeling sick. But how much of a grasp they have of uh, what cancer is and what it might mean, etc., is, you know, another matter. And then as kids get older, they gradually have more and more insight into what's going on. And it might be that eight and nine-year-olds have one particular concept of cancer. But certainly by the time you get to this sort of adolescence, young adult age group, people know cancer is bad. They know this is serious. They know this is a life-threatening thing. And so that brings all the more sort of anxiety, terror uh, into play for the patient. Now, needless to say, with the younger patients who might not understand what's going on, their parents certainly do, and uh, uh, that's a huge source of terror, anxiety for the parents. But now I'm just talking about the patients in particular. So this particular group of patients, they're old enough to know what the stakes are here and uh, how serious this is, and that brings a lot of stress. The next thing to mention is what people in this age bracket should have been doing in life. Okay, so people who are 15 to 25 years of age, you know, they're becoming independent or they already are very independent of family. But, you know, patients in their late teenage years, they're breaking away from uh, being completely dependent on the parents and having to do what the parents say. They're becoming independent. They're starting to go out into the world. They're forming relationships moving on with studies and jobs and not relying on their parents every step of the way to tell them what to do and to keep them organised, etc. So it's a time when people should be becoming more independent. And so you can imagine then if they get diagnosed with cancer, leukaemia, and then end up in the healthcare system, well, all of a sudden they're likely to become more dependent on their parents all over again. Uh, They lose control over what's going on in their life. It's a real shock to the system and it's really not what was meant to be happening in life. Next thing to mention is that these are critical years in people's education. Uh, All years are critical, of course, but if a six-year-old has a a year of chemotherapy and, and then has to repeat the first grade at school, well, that's bad and it's distressing, but the impact isn't as great as it is if you're 17 or 18 years of age, just when you're meant to be doing the sort of critical years of school and then start to plan to go to on to college or to university. A period of treating cancer can really mess up your education plans and it might be that with time you can recover, but the impact of that emotionally is huge and it may be that it sets you back educationally and it's hard to recover from that. In the same way, people in this age bracket are starting to get jobs and uh, getting a job somewhere and hoping to do well and then hoping to get a promotion and move up within their career path. And again, a whole lot of absences due to illness, hospital attendance and changes to physical appearance and changes to your ability to function because you might not feel well, etc. All of these things can impact on one's career path. And that's in a way that might not be as much of an issue, obviously, for younger children. Other thing that people this age are right into doing, of course, is socialising. The peer group is critically important to people in this age bracket. Forming friendships, going to parties, going out to dinner, 
hanging out with the friends. All of these things are important. And the peer group seems like the centre of your world in those teenage years. And if you're back and forth to hospital and not feeling well and not able to participate while all your friends go out night clubbing or go to the beach or something like that, well, that's a bad thing. That messes up what you'd like to be doing, what you should be doing. Then there's people who want to be particularly travelling with their friends. And again, all messed up by having to go through this period of chemotherapy. Then there's the impact of the disease and its treatment on one's body image. All kids are conscious of their body image, of course, but I think it's fair to say that these young adults are are perhaps more conscious of their body image and, you know, they're wanting to look good and uh, that's part of forming relationships, etc. Well, losing all your hair, having a central line, changes from surgery, all of these things can really impact one's appearance, hopefully just temporarily, but it's yet another insult to the system, this change in body image just at a time when, you know, people want to look good and go out partying, form relationships, all of that. Next thing to mention is fertility. Now, certain chemotherapy drugs can cause difficulty with having children later in life. They can cause infertility and certain radiation treatments and surgery to the wrong parts of the body likewise can cause infertility. Now, I don't want you to think that everybody's infertile after cancer treatment. That's not the case. But certain cancer treatments do have a high risk of causing infertility, both in younger children and in older children and adolescents and young adults. Now, the main difference here is that with these AYAs, there are different things we can do about infertility. Because patients have gone through puberty, well, we are able to uh, have a discussion about sperm banking. Or in females, it may be that we can harvest some eggs from the ovaries and put them in the freezer before we start the chemotherapy. Or it might be that we can harvest a piece of ovary without collecting eggs. There's a number of options and you know, I could devote a series of episodes of these podcasts to fertility preservation. But all of these things become options uh, in the post-puberty patient. And so, and so as we start planning to give chemotherapy or radiotherapy or surgery, it's something we have to consider. Should we be doing something to preserve fertility, to freeze some sperm or some eggs or some ovary or something to have in the freezer to use later in life. So just in case the chemotherapy does cause infertility, we have a backup. And, you know, these are important things to consider and they're sensitive topics and you don't just drop a discussion like that on an 18-year-old girl. It requires some sensitivity and discussion and it might involve the parents being part of that or it might not. And so you really need some people who are expert in discussing these matters and then you need some people who are expert in the fertility preservation procedures and labs, etc. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is the subject of what sort of cancers and leukaemias occur in this adolescent young adult population. And the key point here is that it's a bit of a mixture of the sort of tumours that you see in uh, younger population, children, and ones you see in older adults. So you might see typical tumours that we see in younger children, so Ewing sarcoma, rhabdomyosarcoma, acute leukaemia. 
but you might also see tumour types that are more typical of older populations. So you can see melanoma, uh, certain of the testicular and ovarian tumours, certain tumours which are much more commonly seen in older adults. So it's a sort of a mixture of tumour types between the so-called children's cancers and the so-called adult cancers. Now the reason this is important is because of what I said earlier, that some of these patients are sort of caught between the children's hospitals and the adult hospitals. And if you're in a children's hospital and you've mostly got uh, paediatric type oncologists involved, well, they'll usually be very good at knowing what to do with the paediatric cancers, so the sarcomas and the acute leukemias and so on. But if a patient comes along with melanoma, for instance, but is in this teenage age group, well, that is more an adult-type tumour. And so these paediatric oncology doctors, children's cancer doctors, they don't usually have a lot of experience in dealing with melanoma. And they don't have experience in dealing with, you know, bowel cancer and breast cancer. It's just not something that paediatric oncologists see much of. In the same way, if you're in the adult hospital system, suppose you're a 23-year-old, well, adult oncology units are dealing with a lot of patients with breast cancer and bowel cancer and lung cancer and prostate cancer and so on. But they might not be dealing with the so-called childhood-type tumours as much. And so if a 23-year-old has a tumour type like a brain tumour, medulloblastoma, for instance, well, that'll be a tumour type where the adult oncology doctors don't have as much experience in dealing with it. Or if they see someone with rhabdomyosarcoma, well, a lot of the adult oncology doctors won't have great familiarity with rhabdomyosarcoma. Now, some of them will. There's dedicated sarcoma people out there and they'll know exactly what to do. Don't get me wrong. But there is this sort of issue of the paediatric doctors knowing childhood cancer types really well and the adult ones knowing the adult tumour types really well. But depending on your age, you may find yourself in a unit where they're better at one group of cancers and not as experienced in the other group of cancers. And so what generally happens, by the way, is if you come to a children's hospital and you're under the children's cancer team, even though you're 17 years old, and if you have a tumour type, say, like melanoma, that's more typical in older adults, well, the children's cancer doctors will talk to the adult cancer doctors at the uh, nearby adult oncology unit and work out what to do. And so everyone sort of recognises when they're dealing with a tumour type that isn't part of their sort of usual expertise and then they seek out advice and work out how to give the best care. But you can see then why it's desirable to have uh, oncology doctors who are really focused on this age group, this adolescent young adult age group, and can become familiar with the particular sort of types of cancer and leukaemia that occur in this age bracket. And then they usually have a good network of people um, throughout the adult systems and the paediatric systems and resources they can draw upon uh, to work out what is the best treatment for a particular patient. Next, I want to talk about a particular problem that was worked out uh, about 10 or 15 years ago 
and that's what we call the survival gap. Now, it turns out that if you look at childhood cancer over the last few decades, there's been really good improvements in the chances of curing the disease. And if you look at older adults outside this AYA group, there have been good improvements in curing cancer in those age groups too. But it turns out if you look at this adolescent young adult group, there have been improvements in the chances of curing cancer in this group. But it turns out that the improvements aren't as great as they are in the younger patients and in the much older patients. So there have been improvements, but they just haven't made as good progress in improving the chances to cure these diseases as they have in the younger and the older groups. And that's what we're calling the survival gap. And there's a number of theories as to why this has occurred, but the one I want to talk about mostly today is this whole issue of getting into clinical trials. Clinical trials I've talked about before, these are these research studies where patients are enrolled into the study to test some new experimental treatment usually and to try to find a superior treatment and make progress. Now there's a bit of a problem with patients in these age brackets in getting into clinical trials. So we're talking 15 to 25 years of age here. And a lot of the problem comes again because they're sort of caught between the children's hospitals and the adult hospitals. So children's hospitals will typically have a whole bunch of research trials open for all sorts of diseases, uh, for leukaemia, for sarcoma, for brain tumours, for everything, right? The problem is once the patients get beyond whatever the age cutoff is, say 16 years or 18 years, well, then the healthcare system might say, no, we don't take you on in the children's hospital. You should go to the adult hospital. Okay, now the problem is when they go to the adult hospital, the adult oncology unit's probably got a research study open for breast cancer and for lung cancer, but they may well not have a study open for this rare patient that turns up with a paediatric type of tumour. So, you know, adult unit has to decide what clinical trials are we going to open, and, you know, they've got hundreds of patients with uh, breast cancer or one or two or three with the given type of, say, sarcoma. And uh, so they may well just not have a clinical trial open for 22-year-olds or 24-year-olds. And the other thing is that the adult hospitals are unlikely to be a member institution of a big children's cancer research group. So take, say, the Children's Oncology Group of North America. You know, all of the children's hospitals around America, Canada, Australia, elsewhere, are member institutions of this group, and we can have all of their research studies open and we can offer them to our patients. But an adult hospital is going to struggle to be a member hospital of the children's oncology group, for instance. And so they are unlikely to be able to have this whole uh, panel of trials open and available for patients who are, you know, 20, 22, 24 years of age. And so you end up with difficulty in enrolling uh, these sort of young adult patients into clinical trials. And in the same way, uh, when the adult hospitals have trials open for more adult types of cancer, like melanoma, for instance, well, interestingly, a lot of the time those trials will specify that patients have to be 18 years and above. 
And so it often means if you're a patient in a children's hospital uh, being treated as an older teenager, well, you still can't get into those research studies, firstly because we don't have them open at the children's hospital, but even if we did, they often specify that you have to be 18 years of age. Now, whether we should have such an age cut off or not is an open question, of course, something we could all discuss at great length, I would think. I think some of these age cutoffs uh, arose for good reason, probably to do with people's ability to consent for themselves and, uh, you know, when, what we call a minor and what we call a responsible adult, you know, those sorts of definitions. But I think sometimes these age cutoffs don't really need to apply. Anyway, that's something we all keep working on. But when we talk about this survival gap, this uh, failure to improve things as much in the AYAs as we have in younger and older patients, it might be that this is an important thing, just this inability to enrol these patients in clinical trials. Uh, That's something we've all been really working hard on over the last several years. Now, the final thing I want to mention is the problem of being in a children's hospital or an adult hospital when you're in this age bracket. So think about the experience of a 15, 16, 17-year-old in a children's hospital. Most of the patients are much younger. You're surrounded by Barney the Dinosaur or the Wiggles or Dora the Explorer or all of those sorts of TV shows and cartoon characters that go with younger children. And while we older adults think all these kids are really cute, well, teenagers don't necessarily, you know, teenagers often want to be left to their own devices and they want to be listening to their music and watching their movies and playing their games on the Xbox. And so being in a children's hospital can be a bit irritating for them. The next thing to mention is the 22-year-old who finds himself in an adult hospital and in an adult oncology unit. Well, most of the patients in an adult oncology unit are going to be much older. So the younger person, the 22-year-old, might complain of being surrounded by all these really old people. Now, we know these old people are good people, right? They've probably got inspiring stories to tell. They've probably got life experiences that are very valuable. But, you know, when you're 22 or 23, you want to be surrounded by people in your own age bracket. And so you can see the problem here. You know, if you're in a children's hospital, it seems a pain to be surrounded by all these little kids all the time. And if you're in an adult hospital, you might be surrounded by all these really old people all the time. And so in a perfect world, you would run a dedicated AYA oncology unit and it would be confined to patients in that sort of 15 to 25 or 15 to 30 year age bracket. That way, the patients would mostly be surrounded by other patients of their own age and, you know, that'd be better. So I hope I've convinced you now that this AYA group, this 15 to 25 year old age group, are a particular group with a particular set of needs that are different to those that you find in children and different to those you find in older adults. For all the reasons I've listed, they really warrant a dedicated team with particular expertise and training in how to look after them best. People that are familiar with their tumour types, people that are familiar with fertility preservation, social workers and psychologists who across all the educational and vocational issues, the relationship issues, all of the supportive care that these patients deserve. And so over the last 10 or 15 years, a number of dedicated AYA oncology services have been developed. 
I know we have one at my own unit and between our children's hospital and the big adult hospital next door and another adult hospital in Sydney, we've placed a paediatric oncologist into the midst of adult land. We have a radiation oncologist who is very focused on this particular group of patients. And then, of course, we have particular nurses and psychologists and social workers who are particularly focused on this group of patients. There's a lot of scope for further enhancement in these AYA units around the world, but certainly there's a lot of enthusiasm and everyone is now accepting them as a particular group that need to be focused on. There's a lot of research being done. There's international conferences just dedicated to AYA oncology, and I think the future looks good for making some real progress in this area. Anyway, I hope this has all made sense. Thanks again for tuning in to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. Uh, You can leave a comment on the Facebook page if you want or send out a tweet or do something or other. But for now, I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.